Hello, podcast listener, and welcome to this episode of JJ Meets World featuring Scott Ecker. He is a Disney expert. He is a Disney fanatic. He himself has dressed up like Walt Disney on several occasions. We take a deep dive into all of the things Disney's done from films to innovation to theme parks. Plus, I talk about one of the saddest moments of my life. So we get the happiest place on earth and the saddest day of my life. All of this and so much more on this episode of JJ Meets World. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of JJ Meets World is brought to you by Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. Natalie has a proven track record to get your home sold faster and for more money. She is consistently focused on her clients' needs and wants throughout the entire process and make sure that they are well taken care of. If you're looking to buy or sell, reach out to Natalie today. On average, Natalie sells a home every 3.74 days. That's at least two a week. And last year, Natalie earned her clients on average over $4,000 above list price on their homes. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's some of the great reviews Natalie has received. I was overwhelmingly impressed with Natalie and all the Hatch team. She was very responsive and responded to all of the emails within an hour. She gave great advice and encouragement from the listing and pictures, the offer and all the closing details, the marketing team team knew exactly how to promote my property, and I was pleased by how soon and easily my property received an offer. I was actually dreading selling my condo, and Natalie did such an awesome job that I felt like I really didn't need to do anything. The thing I most appreciated was that she really listened to what I wanted to do and respected my decisions. I would definitely recommend Natalie and all the Hatch Realty team. They made this process so wonderful. That was from Diane. So listen, if you're in the mood to buy or sell a home, give Natalie a call right now. You can reach her at 701-388-9338, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at HatchRealtyFM.com, or you can go to LiveFargoMoorhead.com, that's LiveFargoMoorhead.com, and find out some information. Huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring JJ Meets World. One, two, three, four. J.J. Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is! He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. J.J. has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called J.J. Meets Today, the day of this recording, I went to the Kirken o' the Tartan at the First Presbyterian Church in Fargo. What that is, is uh, when Scotland came under British rule, they said, you can't have your tartans anymore. And it was a way you discerned your clan from another clan. So if I walked up and I'm wearing Gordon Tartan and I see a guy in a field and he's also got the Gordon Tartan, oh, part of the same clan. We're not enemies. I'm not going to take my claymore to his skull. Correct. But the English said, no more. You can't have that. That identifies you as Scottish. You're not Scottish anymore. You're English. And so people would secretly wear a little swatch of their tartan underneath their clothing. And there'd be a particular time during the religious ceremony of the week at mm-hmm. church where they would touch, they'd reach into their coat or their shirt or under their, you know, stockings, whatever it happens to be. Right. And they would touch that piece of tartan and that would be blessing their clan, blessing ah. their family. And so we continue that tradition today 
And the Presbyterian Church has a very rich Scottish heritage. A lot of Scots were Presbyterian. And so once a year, they invite a whole bagpipe band in, and they have a blessing of the Tartans. They have Highland dancers. A lot of anti-English sentiment that runs very high. So much, so much. Uh, In fact, I was just chatting with the elders of the church and like, down with King George. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, But it made me think of a moment in that church. And I'm not a church guy. You're not. Not. I don't go to church even on the high holidays. I'm going for specific events. A christening. Uh, is that something that they do in church? Is that a Chris? Is that what they do? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, they baptize. Baptism. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to an adult baptism. You go to weddings. You go to funerals. Yeah. But I can't tell you the last time I went to a church wedding. If I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. A lot of fu- almost all the funerals I go to are in churches, but. Most weddings I go to in the last five, six years, including my own. How killer would a destination funeral in Vegas be, though? Oh, and it's got to happen. Yeah. You know, it's got to happen. Yeah. So I was reminded in there, and this is where this intro takes a hard left (laughs) of the loneliest moment of my entire life. I was brought back to it during this ceremony today. When I was 19, my dad died. I had a six-month bout with cancer. He lost that battle. It was the first time I've ever been involved in planning of a funeral. And one of the things we knew we wanted to do with the funeral was we wanted to have a bagpiper there. Not because my dad was way into his Scottish heritage, but it meant something to his parents. Mm -hmm. And it meant something to just be connected to that heritage, especially as we say goodbye. And amazing grace on the bagpipes is like no other. Now, this church is an old Gothic cathedral. It's all brick and big iron hanging lights and uh, stained glass windows. The ceilings have got to be like 50 feet tall. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a very like, oh, feeling to a church. The acoustics were great. Amazing. So the loneliest I've ever been, my dad's funeral ends and we cremated the body so there's no casket to carry out. So, the bagpiper leads us out. So it's mm. the bagpiper, a soul bagpiper playing amazing grace in this gigantic church filled with people. I mean, it, there had to have been 300 people there. And then I stood up and I walked behind the bagpiper and my mom and my sister were behind me mm. and they had each other to rely on. I walked by myself from one end of the church to the other, listening to this and sobbing my eyes out. I remember the very last pew on the end was a gentleman named Steve Stark, Gwen Stark, previous uh, guest. It was her husband, and he's the only human being who reached out and patted me on the back as we went by. And, oh my God, that moment of tenderness from another human being means so much. But that's the loneliest I have ever felt in my life was hmm. taking that walk and knowing that it's just it's just me right here. I'm surrounded by people, but right now everybody's looking at me. I'm not in control of the situation. It's not like when I'm on stage and I'm like, "Hey everyone, la la la." I was the most vulnerable I think hmm. I've ever been. I felt so lonely. So today when the bagpipe band starts playing Amazing Grace, I had some tears that were shed. Takes you back to the time where you officially became the man of the house. Right. Exactly. Now, that being said, there's one more musical moment involved in my dad's funeral. Mm. So, 
250, 300 people pour out of the Presbyterian church and they take a block and a half walk down the same street that the church is on to an event center in downtown Fargo, the Avalon, where we had the reception afterwards. So I'm greeting hands and you're greeting people, shaking hands. It's just going on and on and on. And a car goes by really slow, blaring. She blinded me with science. And so it's inappropriate. The t- it is so loud that you had to kind of stop your conversation and listen to this thing until it was long, long enough away where it didn't muffle your conversation. So then it comes by a second time. And at this point, I've started the walk and I've got some friends with me. The third time, a third time, this jerk drives by playing. She blinded me with science, doing a slow roll past 300 mourners. Phil Lund, who's a previous guest of the show as well. And for every time that Phil's ever frustrated me, this is exactly why I stay friends with him. He goes, hold on, and runs into the middle of the street. This car screeched to stop. He slams his fists on the hood of the car and goes, my friend's dad just died. Get out of here. And this guy squeals and takes off. That was probably one of the moments where I knew, like I just went from feeling the most lonely I ever have because I feel vulnerable. I feel all by myself to knowing that someone's got my back, Mm -hmm. even when I don't ask for it. And so the back and forth between those two emotions in one day, are the defining moments of the day I said goodbye to my dad Mm -hmm. and I relived those today. Mm -hmm. No one was blaring. She blinded me with science, but I did put it on Spotify when I was driving (laughs) by just because sometimes you got to take the good with the bad. What do you think was going through this dude's head? Like, Hey, there's a big group of people here. I should, I should bother them. I want maybe he's saying I'm lonely. I'd like some attention, Mm. just a different type of loneliness. Right. And why that song in particular? <laughs> That's a great question. You know? Did he only have the single in there? <laughs> Was that the problem? It's such a random song to include. See, now what if he has a backstory to that song, just like that taxi driver had to the soundtrack? The Titanic? To the Titanic. And he's like, I'm dealing with my own stuff, man. My dad's dying right now, <laughs> and science can't save him. <laughs> My dad's been blinded by an accident in a science lab. You know, I know you've always been very involved with the St. Andrews Society, which your family has been in, and you've, mm-hmm. you've carried the, uh, what's it called? The, um, the Claymore. The Claymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, thought, I thought that that procession had a name to it. I know the, so- the sword oh, is a Claymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh yeah. They like got, it kicks off the yeah, event, right? It's like a, per- essentially it's a parade. Do you have... Um, do you recall your father's funeral every time you hear bagpipe music or specifically Amazing Grace? No, no. In fact, I think there's a lot of great covers of Amazing Grace, but hearing it in that space right. is what really brought it back. Right. Um, in fact, if you listen to the soundtrack for the, I'm going to say 1994 uh, Mel Gibson hit film Maverick, there is a great cover of Amazing Grace in mm. there that's kind of like a country western version of it that i really love um but i i love that and i don't think of scottish music like bagpipe music i had it at my own wedding right and i see that as more a connection to my heritage and like i said my dad was never 
he never had bagpipe music. And I remember when I was old enough to be forced to go to the St. Andrew's banquet with my grandmother instead of him having to go. Right. And he's like, good. It's JJ's problem now. Right. So, so, so can I guess the way you plan on connecting our interview today with Scott Ecker is that he shares the same first name as Scottish music does. Oh no, not even close. Okay. I was thinking about, I only saw the movie brave once and I thought it was a piece of garbage, but it's a Disney movie. And that's how I thought I'd connect it to Scott. And maybe he could give me a further appreciation because I'm going to talk to Scott a lot about if there's one thing I think of Scott as an authority of it's Disney. Yeah. This guy knows it inside and out. I will bring up the time I out Disneyed him though. Much to his chagrin, I'm sure. There's got to be some way we can have you two compete here on the show with a Disney off. No. Maybe I can I can look up. What I'll do is from time to time, I'll look up a piece of obscure trivia and see. And hey, just throw it. Guys, I have a, I have a Disney question for I you. I would prefer if you'd say, JJ, you get a chance to answer it. Scott, you get a chance to answer it. Because if it's a buzz in or something like that, I know he's going to win. <laughs> I rarely will say that somebody is a more of an authority on something right. that I enjoy, but he is right. without a doubt. Well, we're going to we're gonna test out your expertise a little bit, Good. but I'm going to let you guys go. I'm a Disney fan, but I am not an aficionado in the way you mm. two are. You don't get Disney aficionado in the mail? Although, it's a, it's technically, Mickey Mouse smoking a cigar I guess month. technically you could say I am now since they own Marvel. Okay. So I guess sure. technically, yes, there's a part of the Disney family that I am uh, obsessed with. Okay. Uh, this interview, we kind of bounce all over the place, but we touch a little bit on improv and we touch, you know, on Disney, we touch on theater. Um, Scott's a guy I've known since he was in high school. And so I think this will be, be a lot of fun. Scott is also currently directing the next show at Theater B right now. Yeah, the last, at what? the time of this recording, which they are they just finished their first week of rehearsals. So it's, uh, we're excited to see. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today, too. But uh, more on that, if you live locally, catch the last shorts at Theater B. And for those of you who want to know, my favorite dance is the stanky leg. Podcast, go. JJ Meets World. Uh, welcome to the studio, Scott Tiberius Ecker. Yep. It's good to see you. You too. Thank you very much. So let's get this right off the bat. Uh, Walt Disney's a sham. He stole everything from Ub Iwerks. I pretty much hit all the nails on the head, right? Uh, they, they wouldn't be anything without the other, as we saw during Ub Iwerks' five-year run as a solo studio, mm. where he created you know classics like Flip the Frog and Willy Whopper and the comic color cartoons that everyone is aware of. This is exactly why I knew this discussion was going to be good. At one point... Tucker's going to throw out some random trivia. Oh, perfect. And it's going to be, he's going to throw a question to me, and I'll throw a question to you. If I can't answer it, you can take it, and vice versa. JJ is very proud of his Disney bona fides. Yes. He's a little threatened by you. Okay. Well, I will freely admit, there is nobody in this community who knows the works of the Walt Disney Company better than Scott Ecker. Yes. Bar none. So I'm very much like Walt. I take control of that narrative where, you know, (laughs) I'm undefeated in Red River trivia, you know, for the Disney nights as far as anyone knows because I don't share if I ever lose. So let me tell you about the one time I out Disney'd Scott Ecker, which really has become funny to me that Disney has now named their streaming service. Disney plus. plus. Yeah. Which is, I was reading Walt Disney's biopic at the Fargo theater. Cause no one came there to see movies. So I had a lot of time to myself and they're talking about how Walt used to go and like, we got to plus it, plus it. You got to plus it. So meaning 
this is good. It needs to be better. Yeah. And so I was talking about this at rehearsal and Scott goes, well, Disney never said that. And then I took the time because I'm a giant baby to put about like 20 links on your Facebook about like, exactly. oh, here's the, you know, Walt talking about Walt plusing it. And then when I <laughs> noticed that Disney was naming their streaming service Disney Plus, I thought like, well, there you go. So they're just slapping I, Scott I love in the, the face. Teenage arrogance of no, this person who died fifty years ago never said this one term. You know, mm-hmm. the confidence in that. But you, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Is yeah. that you have de- devoted so much study yeah. to the works of Disney that I feel like I'm going to be honest. I felt myself kind of questioning it for a moment to mm-hmm. be like, "Ooh, did I read that wrong? Did I read something else entirely that I attributed to this?" Because the biography is something like 700 pages thick. It is yeah. just enormous. I so, do have to say, I have not heard that term in association with Walt and stories about him anywhere else. Mm. So it's not a con- it's not a company line. You know that they're passing around much until now, and they're like, "We'll call it Disney Plus in yes. honor of Walt's <laughs> the secret thing we don't talk about very much. We shouldn't have told that biographer about it." As I'm looking at some potential questions, which I will pepper throughout the episode, yeah. mm-hmm. they fall into a couple specific types of categories. I mean, some of them are about the theme parks themselves, okay. right, and the history of those theme parks. Some of these questions are deep, deep Disney history cuts that I would be surprised if either of you knew the answers to. And a lot of them are merely questions of what happens in this movie at this time. What does this character say then? I think JJ will be pretty good at that stuff Mm -hmm. where it's coming from the movies themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know how either of you are going to land on some of these historic questions. I'm hoping to stump the two of you. Doritos invented in Disneyland. Would you guys like to kick off with one and then you guys can go from there? Sure. Why not? Right. I want to, I'm trying to do, you know, some of these are hard. Like I would be, I'm going to throw a really hard one at you guys and see if you can hit it. And if you do, that'll help me sort of gauge the baseline for this. Um, How, and let's start with you, JJ, you'll answer first and then Scott, and we'll go vice versa. The next one. How did Walt's brother Roy propose to his wife, Edna? Uh, In the back of a, uh, in Edsel. Scott? Um, He brought her back to the small Kansas Main Street community where they delivered papers. And he (laughs) took her on the paper route and uh, he kneeled down on one of the doorsteps and she thought this was funny and proposed to her that way. Got it. So you're both wrong. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think that there are definitely questions on here that are objectively too hard to answer. I went to trivia not too long ago. It was Back to the Future trivia at Mm -hmm. Pepper's Sports Cafe. And... There's one team who got every question right. I have seen each of the Back to the Future movies hundreds of times. Yeah. I, and I don't joke about that. I mean, I watch a Back to the Future movie at least once every week. I've got them on my phone. I love them. Yeah. Third one is the best, in my opinion. I have so much fun while I'm watching it. Again, my opinion. But the questions they were asking were insanely like background specific. Mm, yeah. And the team who got everything right. I noticed that the host went and had dinner with them afterwards <laughs> and enjoyed the pitcher of beer with them. And I'm like, oh, was collusion. I see, I yeah. see what's it going on here. Um, but that's I don't think that there's anything fun when the trivia is so hard. There's nothing fun about right. it. Well, right? and there's I've written trivia events based on personal knowledge. And then I've done it where uh, someone needs to do SVU trivia. And I'm just mm. Googling 
and sure. that's yeah. not as it's, it's not, not gonna not be as fun for the, the spirit people. of the game. Yeah. Did I give you guys the answer? No. no. It was by telegram. Okay. Roy Disney proposed to Edna via telegram. So what that does is gives me a good baseline of that's that's a question too far afield. The next time I interrupt you the question, it'll be one that I think is on the easier yes. side of the spectrum, and I think I'll be able to gauge difficulty now, after that. Is that there's more than one Roy Disney that's been associated with the Walt yeah, Disney so Company, Roy, right? Um, o Disney is the brother. He mentioned the the brother, and then his son Roy E Disney, also Elias middle name. That's the nephew who was in charge of feature animation. See, there yep. you go. That's why you've got Scott around. So you've gotten an opportunity to write trivia for this. Yep. Has anyone ever? impressed you with their knowledge of Disney trivia when you're hosting it? No, but I, I don't think I've hosted it. I've shown up to with, with the biggest stick up my butt, like, okay, impress me. And I'm, I'm like the Simon Cowell. Yeah, of, uh, I, I, I get the Disney response trivia. I'm looking for, yeah. which is not good. You Philistines. Yes. How dare you? Uh, do you have a, a top five favorite Disney animated movies? Oh, um, not in any particular order. Yeah. So for me personally, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which is my favorite movie ever. First one I saw in theaters. Uh, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Um, Beauty and the Beast. After three, it gets kind of like there's maybe 15 I could rotate depending on how I'm feeling that day. Today I might go Princess and the Frog and Aladdin. Mm, do you think, good choices. Do you think widely Beauty and the Beast gets kind of short shrift because they followed it with Aladdin and then the Lion King? No, because nothing's ever going to top the best best picture nomination when there were only five uh nominated films. I uh, also think that at that time it was getting acclaim from not only film lovers, but the I can't remember the reviewer, but who said the best musical on Broadway right mm, now is yeah. Beauty and the Beast, the animated one before they'd even done the mm-hmm. stage production. I'm pretty sure that was the first time I'd seen 3D animation happen in a 2D in, in any animated piece. And there's uh, I mean, the, the, scene, the, the right? clock um, uh, sequence in Great Mouse Detective. OK, um, some bubbles in Black Cauldron. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. But the first thing where you really noticed like, that I had the cameras yeah. moving around. Yeah. What, did, what did you say? The rescuers? No. Uh, great Mouse Detective. Oh, I'm sorry. Great the Mouse Big Detective. Ben right sequence. So great Mouse Detective. I had seen. I never noticed that. I do remember being completely freaked out by that silhouetted assault that happens at the beginning of the oh, movie. Yeah. Right. I just remember is it like an old professor or some an old man is getting attacked. Yeah. To- that was Toy Maker. Toy Maker. Yeah. That mm-hmm. scared. The and by the way, can we call this movie what is really intended to be called? Basil of Baker street and not do the jeffrey katzenberg yes. dumbed down the great mouth detective uh, <laughs> people don't understand it you guys we gotta do this that's my it's a horrible jeffrey katzenberg impression but the guy is so more sleazy guys guys, guys yeah. that being said jeffrey katzenberg i mean did help keep oh, that yeah, studio budgetly so here's afloat. something i've been um thinking of lately is so i i believe that the care bears movie is one of the most important theatrical animated features ever and i think that we there was a a, there's an alternate history where that's all we ever got (laughs) because black cauldron from disney failed immensely and then this cheap you know cash grab uh 
toy, you know, toy merchandising was the biggest animated feature. So if, you know, Disney hadn't gotten their act together with new corporate Hollywood bosses, um, you know, there's no reason for them to put that much money into Disney or Spielberg to support Don Bluth. Mm-hmm. I think if those two things hadn't happened, yeah, there's no reason anybody should have put money into animation. I I love 2D animation. I and I am so sad that the Princess and the Frog yeah is the quote unquote last Disney Winnie the Pooh 2011 oh, right. Yep. But you remember when they're talking about like this is the last one Disney's ever going to do. It didn't make enough money to really yeah. get people excited about mm-hmm. doing something like that. Which I feel like they were setting up like okay here old fans we're trying these again and then. Not marketing them. Uh, Disney has a wonderful way of trying to guilt their audience mm-hmm. into coming out to the theater, being like, well, you guys wanted a 2D animated movie, and we got it for you, so you, you better come out, and you better see it twice, and you better get the McDonald's toys. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's going to be your, it's your fault. You're the one who put the headstone on 2D animation. Yeah. But then even Winnie the, the Winnie the Pooh movie, mm-hmm. uh, they opened it, what, against Harry Deathly Potter, Hollows? the final Harry Potter <laughs> What did they think was going to happen? I don't know. I think, to me, Disney is such an interesting company because they've done so much, and they've been the leader in so many different things. Theme parks alone. Mm -hmm. uh, There were things that existed before Disneyland, but nobody did it to the caliber that Disney did. And the the ownership and the use of property rights and just making people feel that sense of Americana. At the era when they opened Disneyland, yeah. Americana is booming. People are pretending like the 1950s were the best time ever. And in the 1950s, it was the settling of the Great West was the best time ever. And they keep chugging into these mm. things. Disney did that better than anybody else. I was, was three years ago, I was at Disney World, and you're, it's just amazing to walk through there. And I yeah. did the tour that goes underneath the all-day oh, nice. uh, behind-the-scenes tour, and that'll blow your mind hmm. just in the construction of how everything that didn't go well in Disneyland, they said, we're going to fix this for Disney World. For example, and Scott, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but... Very close to opening day or opening day itself, Walt saw a cowboy walking through Tomorrowland, and he thought, it's ruined. It's ruined. The, 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 you know, the, the world that the person is inhabiting is ruined because this cowboy has to get there because he has to get to the employee restroom. And so they decided when they were going to build Disney World that there would be, we're going to build this actually above ground level. And so at any given time, I think you're 25 feet above the actual earth. Mm -hmm. And it's just a huge series of corridors underneath so that that cowboy can essentially walk through, you know, a hole in an old outhouse, go down a set of stairs and can go to an employee commissary without anybody seeing what they look like at that time. And I think that's amazing. Who thinks of doing something like that? And that that is something that when you're at the parks, you don't see many like strings behind the like the characters are the characters mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not you know lifting off a mask to take a smoke or anything <laughs> they've even gone to the level of in the the new guardians of the galaxy ride yeah. which used to be the tower of terror yeah. you walk in and then part of the queue line and this is another thing that disney was brilliant with 
the line that you wait in for up to hours before getting on is just as much a part of the ride as the actual ride experience. Yeah. So it's setting up a storyline and you get in. They've got an animatronic rocket raccoon that gives you an intro, but the rocket animatronic could break. And if it breaks, there is no way to get people through and to be set for the story that they're about to see. Yeah. <laughs> so Disney took the time and money to make it where they could just put a crate over the rocket raccoon that's not functioning and then be able to project like a screen where it's rocket, like looking over everybody, like not that he's right there, but he's coming to them via a comm system. So they've got a backup. They've got a plan B blows my mind. Yeah. If you're in a play and somebody gets sick, your best bet is to get somebody on stage with a script Mm -hmm. who can fill in those parts or you cancel it. If you have the budget, which most don't. Right. (laughs) And so I think to me, those are the touches that Disney has excelled at for so many years and Mm -hmm. guest satisfaction. They teach it to companies now. Scott, you'll answer this first. (laughs) What is the motto for the rescue aid society in the rescuers? That's oh boy, a good question. I, I I can hear the melody of the the song they sing. It's not never give up, never surrender. <laughs> um, You're right. It's yeah. not that. Nope. That's Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I would argue has done more for the the Star galaxy Trek genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I believe this is a Disney episode. Yes. Guys, let's not uh, contaminate with others. Yes. All right. No, I do not know this. You're going to pass. Yeah. JJ. Uh, never hurt anyone. I mean, no, no, no. Well, how about this? Uh, old, uh, old women are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what is the motto for the rescue aid society in the rescuers? We never fail to do what is right. Mm. Okay. I have to say, guys are letting me down. I'm a, I, I really love rescuers down under. The original rescuers is one I just can't get into. Agreed. I've it, tried it. it. Disney's had like thirty year a thirty year period where their animated movies all had pacing issues, from Sleeping Beauty to Little Mermaid. It's just there's at least one point where it drags. You know what? I actually now I just said let's talk only about Disney, and I'm going to take us out for a second. <laughs> Watched an animated film last night, huh. thinking. What is with the pacing here? What is with yeah. the timing between characters saying lines? It's it's as though it were automated. Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. And there are so many moments where a character says a line mm-hmm. and then there's this weird beat and then another character says a line and it's as though they it, it just yeah. it feels almost like a video game cut sequence where it's been translated from Japanese, so all the timing and the language yeah. just doesn't fit, just doesn't work. And I thought, these are simple cuts. Like, you could have easily gone in, once you recorded everything, animated everything, did, y- you just need to cut two seconds out between these things. Did that follow a joke? Is that like trying to get like a it, humor rhythm it, it or replicate? It the similar rhythm as though it's a pause for a punchline, yeah. but it happens in moments where there's obviously no joke happening. Okay. So I wasn't quite sure what was going on there, but one re- not Disney, though. No, well, one recent thing that I, bothers me in animated movie trailers, um, and even in some Disney ones, where there'll be a lawn moment where nothing happens. So, like, Maui 
in Moana trailer jumps into, you know, the big cave and, you know, Moana's looking over and nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then he says, I'm still falling. And that seems to be a modern like joke beat where not just nothing happens. It's the Homer Simpson. He's staring at you blankly. Yeah. And there's a moment there where there's just nothing. It started, I think, around him because I remember similar humor type happening when we were of the age when we were in high school mm. and things were, you know, if it was random, it was considered funny. Yeah. And if it was, if you would just not understand it for a moment, that would be considered funny. It kind of feels like mm-hmm. that. Ugh, this doesn't sound funny to me at all. It wasn't, it was a weak movie, which is weird. Cause I love the Ninja Turtles Yeah, and I love Batman. Listen, just because you love two things does not mean that they go together. Uh, I'm going to find that out tonight with stovetop stuffing and beef tacos. <laughs> I love sleeping naked, and I also love working with youth groups. Those things do not go <laughs> hand in hand, no matter what. No. No matter any time I chaperone an overnight, I'm never going to be able to sleep what if as you, comfortably as I would like. What if you loved neither of those things, but you loved them when they happened at the same time? Then mm. this whole podcast would be yep. proof of some. Yeah, I think my neighbor. So I don't this have is a, a sting <laughs> operation by Tucker Lucas. One hundred fifty episodes. Just Lord to you in Disney. I think my neighbor has seen me naked a lot the last two months. Why? Because I had to take down the the molding around my window so I could repair some parts of it. And you thought this doesn't require clothes? <laughs> well, and I haven't. No, I haven't put the shade back on. But when I get out, I am of the exact height where they are looking down from their main floor window up at the master window in my house, and it's his office. I think he goes to work, and he sits there in a chair, and if he looks up at the right time, you can definitely see my butt. Sounds like a great deal of timing on both of your parts. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which is like, like two ships passing in the exactly. night. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think one of us is maybe like like I'm waiting for that light to turn on? I can see the, the maybe illumination. He maybe and, he doesn't think it's your butt. No. Good call. Maybe he thinks it's like I'm an just old woman's like mask. Two turkeys. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, two uncooked turkeys through the mic. So, bedroom. is there nothing about your routine that you can adapt for this problem? It, <sighs> it has to be your butt. Honey, look at that window this potato way. sack again. So, my wife wears pajamas, and I said, Jill, why don't we just switch sides of the bed? Because if I'm on your side, I won't have to walk past this window. You guys have to been get together to the for, for how long, though? Like, you can't uncook what's like. That's you, true. You've been, the sides you've been, of the bed you have. You've been yeah. sleeping on the same yeah. side of the bed for so long together. We, it, this is a brand new bed within the last six months i think we can try out some different (laughs) ideas it's also a king size bed and she started sleeping diagonally oh that's just selfish which yeah she gets she gets the equivalent of a queen size bed to herself and i'm still sleeping on the equivalent of a single yep now the size difference between the two of you she's the one that needs that yeah In fact, somebody recently, my wife has was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes oh. at age 35, almost unheard of in yeah. the medical community. Uh, that and makes her prone to sleeping diagonally? No, but my uh, friend Phil, in true Phil fashion, goes, I mean, you look at the both of you and you say, which one of these has diabetes? <laughs> and... <laughs> And he goes, they're pointing at you every single time. <laughs> and he called it he called it nature's cruel joke. Oh. So yeah. Best man of my wedding. Yeah. Uh, okay, going back to Disney slightly, because you mentioned this and we've yeah. had this conversation yeah. before. I'm glad it's getting recorded now. Yeah. One of the most tragic stories of Hollywood is Don, Don Bluth. Bluth. Yeah. 
that man did such amazing things and doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves. Yeah, he he um, really took a risk at the time. It was unheard of. So Don Bluth, uh, director of um, Land Before Time, Seeker of Nim, and American Tale. Um, so he, he was all dogs go to heaven. We can keep going. Troll yeah. in Central Park, Thumbelina, Anastasia, Bartok the Magnificent. Think Pebble and the Penguin. Of course, mm-hmm. that's one I always forget. <laughs> Um, Balto? Did he do Balto? Nope. Um, that was the mouths uh, look like am- he did. Well, yeah, that was so. Um, <laughs> that was Spielberg's Amblimation, mm. but their first movie was Five Goes West, which was a C- so they kept his style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've yeah. had long conversations about Five Goes West. We don't need to get into them on this uh, pod- edition of the podcast. Well, but I, I have to say, I've never seen that one. You've never seen Five Goes West? Then you're missing the best one. Have you seen all four? I, I've oh, yep. only seen the first. Yep, yep. Okay. The, what next one is the Manhattan? There's Monster of Manhattan Island yeah. or something. Mystery of something. Yeah, I got which the f- also maybe Manhattan Island. And here, this must be a rights issue because I own an American Tale on DVD, Disgusting. but the other three come on <laughs> separate. There is no like four pack you can buy because yeah, one is superior, and the others are just retread of the no, same theme. No. Not at all. About how the West was won? What? Are you kidding me? The swan song for Jim Jimmy The only Stewart? thing more disgusting to me than the fact <laughs> that, that J.J. was his last <laughs> movie, wasn't it? It was. The fact that he prefers It Goes West is not the most disgusting thing to me. What's most disgusting <laughs> is it seems that a lot of people agree with him. And yeah. I don't understand. I do not understand this. Viva <laughs> la Five All Goes West. So, J.J., if any sequel, like... To a series that's not originally set in the old west, suddenly makes a U-turn and is like a western. Do you love that uh, one more? Because that's the pattern I'm seeing. You've got my attention. I can tell you that much. I here's the thing. I don't think that there's another one that's done that other than Back to the Future in Five Will Goes West. Yeah. You know? Racking but, my brain. But and here's the thing. Both Veggie of them tales, did such a Ballad great of Little way. Joe. That doesn't oh, count. That's no. not a feature, but I only saw the Jonah and the Whale Veggie yeah. Tales movie. So okay, so Don Bluth is yes. uh, is an awesome, amazing guy. He's innovative in his animation style. His storytelling is top notch. He just doesn't get the he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. And looking back, he had enough chances. It's really weird. Um, because we remember him as being this, remember him. He's still alive. He's still, you know, still bluthing it up somewhere. Yeah, he's still really trying to get that Dragon's Lair movie yes. going. <laughs> still living off of his old glory days, as you know, I'm sure we all would love to be able to. Um, I, he is at his best when he has a structure of a story to work with or someone to really guide him. So Secret of Nim, I think, is his best movie. As much as that deviated from the book, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, he still had that story structure. Or as much as Bluth didn't like collaborating with Spielberg on An American Tale and Land Before Time, there was still a strong producer guiding him. Um, when Bluth is on his own, that's when the rails come off, where All Dogs Go to Heaven, Rock-A-Doodle, Troll in Central Park just doesn't have that um structure you know he 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 really needed to be able to work at a studio like disney that could be like okay you've got skills as an artist here's the story here's the the backbone 
Um, right. We're going to give you a department yeah. to oversee that will be able to make suggestions and tweak on your mm-hmm. vision. Because he's bankrupted multiple studios on his own. And that that's sad, but uh, we, we lost Richard Williams recently, who directed the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You know, he's another one where if there was a studio in place that could... Um, could have given him some creative freedom, but also the structure to um, do his own work. Uh, we would have seen a finished Thief in the Cobbler. By the way, shout out to Richard Williams yeah. for doing something that by today's standards is impossible. Mm-hmm. Completing the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an unthinkable yeah. undertaking, considering that you're blending things that... We're really more or less, uh, you know, a, a little fun side operation, you know, from the Alice adventures yeah. all the way up. But to do it as brilliantly as he did into that, I mean, it is amazing. And it still holds up. Just you know, so we well. look at old CGI and like you can see it does not work. But um, who framed Roger Rabbit? It's seamless. <laughs> I, I recently just rewatched a couple scenes from the first Toy Story. Yeah. And you even see how primitive... Mm-hmm. 3D animation was then, yeah. especially around the mouths, mm-hmm. the way the mouths are shaped. And there were moments I caught where like weird clipping was going on yeah. or objects would go through each other because they just hadn't built the physics and the texturing for it yet. And Pixar will say that they started with Toy Story because everything looked plastic. Right. They weren't mm-hmm. going to do a full feature with people. Yeah, I uh, listened to a podcast recently which walked through every single Pixar movie and they said, they had to they had to do a lot before they were like okay it's time to do people mm-hmm. you know as it and like even you look then at Incredibles yeah. is so stylized mm-hmm. that yeah. it's not yeah but the texturing was there I mean mm-hmm. that, that that part of it the light scatter and and things yeah. hitting surfaces was there but yeah like the, there's that uncanny valley thing where mm-hmm. the closer you try to get you think of like Final Fantasy Spirits Within yeah you know um, or even even now something as advanced as like the cinematics from World of Warcraft when mm-hmm. they put out new ones those are highly stylized very textured very physics but the closer they get to actual human proportions the weirder it seems mm-hmm because there's still that 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 weightlessness of the physics. There's still that uh, I don't know. It doesn't connect. Every time we get a live action director who wants to make an animated feature, I see that and everything with Tintin and Rango, and it's just like I remember it looks in, the, bad. in the features for the Incredibles, watching Brad Bird go yeah. over and over again, like the physics from the Jungle Book mm-hmm. when they'd be like lifting Mowgli up into a tree, and how it looked like he actually yeah. had weight to him as they mm-hmm. would push it. Yeah, uh, the squash and stretch principles mm-hmm. that the nine old men created jj you're gonna kick us off with this one this one's kind of shocking shocking me a little bit okay you first and then scott what is the name of donald duck's sister who is oh. also the mother of huey dewey and louie uh okay hold on because i just watched this on ducktales and it's uh daisy is his girlfriend is it uh Del- not delilah dip uh Delilah. Can I steal? Yep. JJ's getting close. It's Della. It's neither. Dumbella? Dumbella. Dumbella. Okay. Dumbella spelled D-U-M-B-E-L-L-A. Now, <clears throat> I was not aware that they had ever established who his sister was. Does she actually appear or is she merely referenced? So in the shorts that debuted Huey, Dewey, and Louie, um, Donald's ne- uh, nephews, um, Donald gets a letter saying that um, she's in the hospital with the, the boys' father. And it's 
it's phrased in this funny way that really sets up what jerks these three kids are. Oh, so they had they had hospitalized their father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got they it. had they had done something and made the. But if her name accident. is her name is Dumbella, yeah. it sounds like they're trying to tell you something about her because that's such a yeah a name that dumb is in there yeah. right 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 there right front and center. Well, don't forget, there's a, someone in the Bible named Dorcas. Dorcas, Dorcas yeah. yeah. So, right. And, I mean, and Nimrod, but like yeah. they didn't have the context for it at the time. But Dumb, I'm assuming, was part of the context already when Dumbella was created. Unless Dumbella is a name. I've never even heard that name before. It sounds mm-hmm. made up where they were trying to put the, na- the yeah. word dumb into a name somehow. I, I had a... Uh, my my mom is a elementary school librarian, and there's this old book. Are like, are you dumb? And it was about <laughs> are you deaf? Oh, and wow. and used it in that way. And I'm sure by the look of the book and the wear and tear, like that was 50s. Wow. Um, I can't think of dumb being used as a um just colloquial um slam. <laughs> yeah, like are you since then? You're yeah. dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have you been watching any of the Ducktales, the new Ducktales reboot? Uh, no, and that's something I'm excited for with Disney Plus. Um, so, to have a chance to do that on a previous episode, I really crapped on that show. Yeah, and I still say that the first season of that show doesn't know what the, they don't know if they're trying to placate to me, the fan of the original mm-hmm. DuckTales series. They don't know if they're just trying to go off of, we're trying to get new kids in here. Are we trying to get no. toys? Uh, what is it? But something has happened with just the storytelling. And even in the first like TV movie yeah. launch that they have for it, there's some funny stuff like uh, Donald goes to work for Flintheart. Okay. And he has to sit and watch like a new employee video for Glumgold Industries. Yeah. And it is a parody of other like you know like like you've chosen to be a henchman and it's funny and they really lean into that later some of the animation is unfortunate and i don't know if we'll see that again in tv animation where i mean the original ducktales was one of the first attempts higher budget and really get some quality um you know unless it's an artistic statement like uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, which I watched the first episode for recently. Um, I think that, yeah, just assembly line animation is what we're going to get. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing uh, some animated pieces that could have been movies, but they said, nope, we want to turn this into a one-off like series. Yeah. Especially for Disney plus Mm -hmm. a streaming service. Yeah. It just, makes sense that we're living in a world where they're going to say, okay, anything that we can do. The problem is that live production usually costs less than Mm -hmm. an animated production, unless you go the cheap route and send it overseas to all be done. Um, But then you, then it starts to look like everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And Mm -hmm. so people, they'll be skating that fine line. Disney's, in my opinion, Disney's backbone, what they, you know, what put them Mm -hmm. on the map is animation. Yes. But that no longer is what they are banking on. Unless you consider the live action Lion King an animated movie, which it is. Argument. uh, Yeah, I... It's weird, and that's a trend in modern animation where the peak seems to be how realistic can we make this? How close to real life? And that just 
you lose the fantasy of it that way. And it's just not, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of, of that um, direction. Things are going. Disney seems to say, okay, I imagine there's a room and it's a big, long board table. Yeah. And they're showing the, the rough cut of a movie that they're releasing. And the heads of every single department yeah. for Disney is there. They're like the toy makers, right? And mm-hmm. so they're sitting there and be like, yep, we can easily turn this into a toy. Yeah. And then there's someone from Disney theatrical being like, yeah, I think we could probably turn mm-hmm. this into a stage musical in some way. You had someone from the theme park being like, well, we've been looking for something to do with the 20,000 leagues under the sea Nemo yeah. thing where we can, we can do something with this. And so gone are the days of where you're making just a movie. Yeah. It's it's a property, right? Mm-hmm. Everything they do now is they're making a property, and what can they squeeze out of this? And, and I think that's been the way since the late '80s, at least. They're more known for what they own now than what they have produced originally. Mm-hmm. So Disney used to mean the movies, yeah, and animated their characters that they had created and yeah. owned. But now it means everything from Marvel to The Simpsons mm-hmm. to all sorts of stuff, ESPN, yeah. everything else that they own. Which is in so I, I had a friend ask me my opinion on how much Disney owns is a good is it bad, um, and it's interesting because Disney is the only corporate entertainment corporation that came out of the studio. All of these other movie studios have been purchased by Comcast or um, you know Time and or merged with you know Time Warner, Sony, um, Viacom, and. You know, Disney really had to become a corporation to survive. You know, you look at how terrible things were in the early 80s. um, It's astonishing that they're still around. Um, I think now the optics of buying Fox, just because people joke about Disney owning everything, was kind of bad. But I don't know. There's... (laughs) If they didn't buy it, someone else would have, and it's weird to talk in those terms. Here's what I think. Well, it's not like they could do any worse than Fox was currently doing with their properties. Right? Right. Yeah. So... It, I I actually just looked the 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 Marvel buyout was not too long ago mm-hmm. from like like date wise because it showed up on my Facebook I think it was two thousand eight like, memories I think. uh two thousand ten it was right before Iron Man two okay yeah. gotcha so when that originally took place my Facebook post is like. Like, Disney's buying Marvel? Great. Yeah, we had arguments about that. Yeah, Yeah. and I was like, this is just the worst thing for it. And I was 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Lucasfilm. I think they've done a great job in getting Mm -hmm. Star Wars put together in in a structure that makes more sense. They saved it. I mean, they saved Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The the brand of which was in the toilet. Yeah. And, say and what still you, billion dollar worth. Right. And they're making movies that are entertaining a lot of people. They may not be entertaining the diehard Star Wars fans, but I hate to be the one to break it to you. Yeah. They don't care about your dollars. Well, it's actually, I mean, but the thing is, it's actually entertaining a ton of the diehard Star Wars fans, too. A lot of people that I know yeah. who have been Star Wars people since they came out in the 70s, and they're loving the new movies. I think part of it is that when something becomes, have such a mass appeal that the people who hate it can't mm-hmm. get away from it. And so they're going to do nothing but complain about it. It's like us with yeah. sports in this town, right? Mm-hmm. I have nothing against sports, but because we're bathed in it all day long and I get kind of sick of hearing about it, 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back against it. Yeah, I guess yesterday was Bison Day, like National Bison Day, and it's like we need a a national designated holiday to acknowledge this thing that you know, specifically for the team everywhere. and not actual yeah. Bison. Even for yeah. the fact that yeah. like we shame people who say Bison, yeah, and pronounce it the correct way, but we're like, no, it's the Bison here. There's at no point. Was there ever like a university mandate that came out that said, you guys, we're going to pronounce this with a Z instead mm-hmm. of an S yeah. and just buck against a trend. Now, I also like to remind people, too, that like Dis- Disney's whole studio career has not been all greatness. Oh, no. Like you could write a biography of Walt Disney called nearly bankrupt more times <laughs> than you can count. Yes. <laughs> um and talk about the fact that there there were times which movie was it where he, they were they were pretty far in the process and he scrapped it and started over again one of the animated films so the jungle book uh beauty and the beast got completely redone same yeah. thing really so mm-hmm. jungle book no i don't i, I at least i have they, 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 they were recycling animation cycles though at that point because there's yeah, animation the cycles age, that, yeah. hack, yep. that show up in jungle book that are in other things well, like and Robin then beauty Hood. and the beast has one of those at the end where they didn't have time to finish it so they recycled um sleeping beauty the um, dance. yeah i love every like two years on facebook there's a, a youtube video that will circle around pointing out the recycled animation and people will be up in arms and just like how could they and you know <laughs> this proves whatever you know point i was making and it's just i don't know people seem averse to figuring out the historical context to whatever made them mad. <laughs> but how expensive it was to do that thing in the first place. Yeah. I got to assume, even though 3D animated movies are still expensive, but there's got to be something too. If all you used to know was drawing cell by cell yeah. on pieces of paper, but now you've got 3D models that you can mm-hmm. have them do all sorts of stuff, which also lends itself a lot to a lot of commercialization. So a lot yeah. of the same animations of characters will then show up in ads for you know, mm-hmm. Pepsi or, yeah. or what have you. Right. I mean, let's face it. The studios are giant R&D departments in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once you get something that works, you're going to keep it for yeah. a, a little bit, as you should. Right. Uh, one of the greatest moments of my life was they did an exhibit at the Chicago um, Science Museum yeah. uh, dedicated to Walt Disney because mm-hmm. he's, he's got a big Chicago. He's yeah. a Chicago boy. <laughs> um, and they had one of the multi-plane cameras oh, in yeah. there. With, yeah. And they, they showed how this thing worked. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen this... It's huge. It, it, it's yeah. enormous. It's, I mean, it's, it had to have been 12 feet tall mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. And so what it was is you put a cell of, let's say the sun at the very bottom and then other cells that have different pieces of yeah. the single image. And as the camera comes down, the cells kind of move and it gives this depth of feel mm-hmm. that you'd never seen before because they said, we want it to look like this person's walking down the road and getting you know smaller. And rather than having to figure out the exact dimensions of what it would look like size wise for every single piece, why don't we just move the background? Yeah. Which is unheard of, right? In filmmaking, they're like, you can't do that with animation. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't take something in real life and make it come alive like that. And they're like, yeah, we can, we got it, mm-hmm. we took care of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, seeing one of those is wild. They also can had one of your trivia questions be what was the first um, animated short to use the multiplane camera? Mm. What was the first multi short to animate the co- the camera with the mu- mustache? Multiplane camera, mm-hmm. multiplane with your mustache. Uh, the old mill. 
Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, they also had the uh, the the painted backdrop for London from Mary Poppins, oh. Oh. where they poked little tiny pinholes in it, yeah. and then were able to like light up behind. Is that when you're it. looking like at the smokestacks and stuff. Yeah, like the uh, in the establishing shot of London at the very very beginning. Okay. Um, and so because of these pinpricks, they could light up certain areas and it would look like the town was getting dark enough where they're having to, you know, people would light up candles and stuff in their homes. It was oh. seeing those pieces of history yeah. just are amazing to mm-hmm. me. And I love Disney pushes and pushes and pushes, and they always are looking for what the next, the next innovation can be. And yeah. you see it in their theme parks. That being said, some of their flops have been huge flops. Like they had a, a like a, a Dave and Buster's style uh, yeah. restaurant at one point uh, that was like video games. Do you remember Disney what Quest? That's yeah. what it was. And I think they opened two of them, and before they were like, "Oh, never mind, this is the working. kind of thing." Though, like, where with Amazon, it gets so big. It's like let's just start slapping Amazon in different services and see what takes off. Well, uh, the Go Network <laughs> uh, and Disney bought yep. Go when didn't know what the internet was going to be. So if you ever you know, I remember like an area of um, or an era of um, video commercials where it was Disney.go.com. Yeah, that's because they per- purchased this domain search engine that didn't take off. Oh, God. Well, there was they had purchased land outside of Philadelphia to build another theme park that was going to be Disney's America. Disney's that, America. Yeah. Ah. And uh, there, there was only one piece from that thing that actually lived that became part of it was like a carousel style ride where you're in where the the theater moves and someone died tragically on that one of the operators uh-huh. got smushed yeah. between one of the walls but it had Burl Ives as the voice of this like eagle wearing a, like an American okay. an American yeah. hat and he's like he's like come on down folks not only did that poor gentleman have to die I believe it was a woman not only did that that poor woman have to die in construction, yeah. but for a theme park that would never exist. Right. Yes. And that's the thing is Disney is so excited about this and they're going to, you know, fund part of this giant mm-hmm. uh, freeway expansion. And, it, you know, think of what it's done to Orlando, what it's done to Anaheim. But the people of Philadelphia mm-hmm. were like, F to the no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't want Disney. That's ridiculous. And. A pretty much a word of mouth campaign squashed it, and they had purchased land. That's too bad. I would have there loved stories about deal. how they have to like grease the flagpoles at yeah. Disney Philadelphia or something. Be pretty great. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Well, I think the Philadelphia Eagles mascot probably would have become this, <laughs> yes. like the goofy Burl Ives mascot. <laughs> so but, here's my pitch for the next American Disney park. Oh yes, they should do. Um, like just one of the themed lands in like four different states. So it'd be like Tomorrowland, Washington, or Adventureland, Nevada, um, Frontierland, Texas, or something like that. So you they open it gradually, and that way it's less expensive, less um, uh, takes up less land, but they spread it spread it out. And then you sell people on like a four week long vacation where. Mm-hmm. You spend four days at this park, and then you fly yes. to this park, and then, oh, yeah, on states Disney can Airlines, pitch, you know, like, hey, we want to mm-hmm. be the the Fantasyland state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would North Dakota be? What could we take over? You know, I feel like Frontierland is what we're disposed right. to, and that's the one I I would like want a the least type thing. Yeah, like out there, yeah. Like we've 
Everything's that. Maybe we can be the Touchstone Pictures land. Yes. It's called Walt Disney Basically Canada. Yes. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you on this one. Um, I think you two have a good chance of okay. getting this one. Which Disney full-length animated feature was the last one to use a storybook as an introduction in the beginning of the movie? Hmm. What, which Disney full-length animated feature was the last one to use a storybook as an introduction in the beginning of the movie? Which are, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Whose turn is it to start? You, you. get to go. Okay. Uh, 2011's Winnie the Pooh that I've referenced already. Oh. Is that not what your answer That's says? That's not the answer. <laughs> I, I argued this with Trivia Takeover as well. Um, <laughs> what, is Chicken Little the answer you had? No. Where they make fun of the Mm-mm. storybook? No. Oh, JJ, God. it's up to you. Uh, so I guess my Robin Hood is way off. Your Robin Hood is dead on. Is JJ, that what they're you, saying? You just, you just, you, you see, see, I, see, I, would, I would argue that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I concur with Scott. Like I agree. Cause they use it in Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Like it's part of, it was part of the poster imagery on like the teaser mm-hmm. poster. Wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I wonder when this particular question was written. Mm-hmm. It may have been, it may have predated that coming out. It also depends on by whom as well, because right. That's one thing I've noticed online about the Disney fanatics is there is no love loss between person A and person B. If somebody (laughs) thinks that they know what the answer is, they are going to defend it to the possible death. Which is awesome. I mean, (laughs) you could say that obviously literally Robin Hood is no, is no longer the correct answer, but you could also say that that was a storytelling tradition of their movies at the time Mm -hmm. that they then ended and that Winnie the Pooh bringing it back is a callback to a different time. So as a callback, you can still kind of categorize it differently as like the tradition sort of ended. But now they're referencing the tradition to evoke an emotion. Right. And, and at that point, the trivia question gets too unwieldy. And why are we even? <laughs> it's like, why does this matter? It's a bit of trivia. Yeah. If we have to have all these caveats. If you didn't say Winnie the Pooh, would you have said uh, Robin Hood? No, I would have said Chicken Little because okay. they make make fun of, oh, the storybook. How many times do we see the storybook opening? Um, so that, what, the question would have to be like, movie. which movie did a non-self-referential, yeah. non-self-aware, the sincere, <laughs> non-callback, yeah, would have been Robin Hood. Because even later on, Shrek from DreamWorks will make fun of the storybook opening. Yeah. Because he uses it. For so does Monty, paper. Monty Python does it too uh, in the Holy Grail because mm-hmm. they go back to the book from time to time mm-hmm. and eventually it's a gorilla hand, hand that comes yeah. in and they got to rip it out. <laughs> um, when you consider the Disney live action films, yeah. what do you think are the worst slaps in the face that Disney has put on screen oh, uh, yeah. using existing properties and just trying to say like, well, sorry. You know, it, it's tough because it's like, I I don't know if there was a better Country Bears movie. Right. You know, that probably what <laughs> yeah. I think they made the best one you could have with that. I spoke <laughs> about that movie with Steven Tobolowsky, who's yeah. in that movie. And he goes, you know, when you look at it, it was quite the technical undertaking. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They gave us the best possible. I I listened to the Country Bear soundtrack once a year. Yeah. <laughs> I remember fondly making out with a girl in the theater to that movie. We were the only two people there. <laughs> it's good times. I remember anyway. making out during A Beautiful Mind. Anyways, really? Yeah. I didn't like that movie, so I made out instead. 
Do you remember what the movie was? Is that like a finished? backup plan you have, like in case no, you don't like the movie? it was my girlfriend at the time. It was high school, my girlfriend at the time. We were like, let's go see this movie. And it was yeah. boring. And then we were like, hey, we're both here. We could make out. And that's yeah. what we ended up doing. Yeah. If that was Tucker's backup plan for if he goes to a bad movie, he's going to make out, we would have made out during Final Fantasy Spirits with yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. We would have disagreed over whether or not to make out during Lady in the Water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> be like, get off me, Tucker. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> Which is uh, the the movie that Disney refused, mm. you know, because Shyamalan did four big hits for them up to that point, and mm. they mm. said no. Like, Ooh, this one <laughs> stinks. If, if you have not read the book, The Man Who Heard Voices, I haven't. I, I oh, yeah. highly recommend yeah. it. I forget the name of the author. He was primarily a sports writer. Mm. Ended up meeting Shyamalan at a party, and they connected over a few different things, kept in touch, and then eventually he was like, hey, I'd like to write a book about you at some point. I don't know what it would be exactly, but yeah. let's figure some out. And when he's like, I'm writing this new movie, um, and you can you can follow me while I do it, gives this guy unprecedented access. He's there every step of the way. The only caveat being you can't publish this until well after the movie is out. Yeah. Didn't censor it, didn't say you got to give me a look at it or mm-hmm. anything like that, to his credit. Yeah, but the portrait painted of the man yeah. is insane. Including this writer goes to that dinner meeting with the Disney execs, oh, wow. where they had just read Lady in the Water, and they had to find out how they were going to tell him that they weren't going to do it. Yeah. Ooh, what you said the man who hears voices. The man who heard voices. The. Mm. Nominal. I'll have to add it. Maybe I'll see if it's on Audibles. I wouldn't be surprised if you start reading it on a Friday and you're done by a Sunday. Really? I just I think you'd you yeah. tear it through it pretty quick. Oh yeah, uh, I, I love those behind the the scenes books like that. Uh, one, but, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm gonna throw one out. I thought Mary Poppins Returns was garbage. Oh wow! Yep. I, yep. Oh, I love Mary Poppins Returns. I think that they made Mary Poppins such a B that. I couldn't. There's nothing lovable about her at all, and even the Julie Andrews terse version of Mary Poppins still was, you know, lovable. Like when she's singing to the kids, like yeah. it's it's loving, you know. Versus this woman who's trying to explain that, like, don't worry, your mom's not dead. She's just been misplaced. That's all it is, kids. Don't worry about it. Uh, I also think that the worst thing that Disney has ever served to me in something where they've guaranteed me my money was inspector gadget. Now the follow-up sequel gets it way better than the Matthew Broderick with French Stewart because they at least own up to the fact that like, you're not supposed to see claws face, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. he's supposed to be kind Mm -hmm. of this faceless baddie with just like the claw. Um, Inspector Gadget's an interesting one because I was eight when that came out, and that was like a big, you know, collected all the McDonald's toys and, uh, you know, saw it like twice in theaters, bought it on video. So I, I saw it, you know, 50 times in a year that way. Um, like now, objectively, I admit it's not great, but. <laughs> and Dabney Coleman's in it. Yeah. Sherry O'Terry, which means like, oh, this might not be that good. <laughs> See, uh, that, that I, I have fond memories of Sherry O'Terry because of that. <laughs> uh, who calls me evil Gidget behind my back? See, I can quote <laughs> the Disney's yeah. Inspector Gadget. Um, and I just saw somewhere that they're trying to work on a new version of Inspector Gadget. And Yeah, I don't. 
see the need. I don't it's, know what in a world so driven by apps and gadgets that we already have, it doesn't seem as you know. You can buy a personal submarine online for forty thousand dollars. Can can we just stop acknowledge a Kellyanne Conway referenced Inspector Gadget like two years ago when like the Trump was complaining about was a microwave yep. being tapped and she said he's not Inspector Gadget and everyone is like, do you think Inspector Gadget? inspects gadgets <laughs> it's like i inspect your gadgets repair i was surprised that there wasn't at one moment where there literally was like someone from the press corps who was like like da 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 da, da inspect and like yeah. sings the theme song to her, theme song to her <laughs> so that she can be like you know what you're referencing right go gadget go da 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 you right you saw that show right <laughs> I, I, I feel no soul. I feel like we're going to have 15 years of entertainment just based on this administration. Oh, like yeah. the Space Force show that Netflix is getting. Like I'm sure that pitch meeting was amazing, and like by the time we get it, we're not going to want it. Right, and that is, I think, part of the hard rub of entertainment is that mm-hmm. you need to produce stuff so fast. I think it's one of the reasons why people are really into Saturday Night Live right now, right? Because something can happen on a Wednesday yep. and it's being lampooned on a Saturday. Which I would argue, though, that, okay, so when SNL started, the only take they needed on the president was him falling down. Yep. Mm. Now we get so much information constantly that I think the big, like, for as lauded as SNL was for their take on Trump initially, like, they have not changed their tactic at all, and it's just, we're immune to it, and it's, we know where it's going, like... Well, they have to the, put him in more and more over-the-top ridiculous situations, rather than just, you know, this is the overall He's defaming him at this point. Right. He, I, he's, he's, he's so oversaturated as it is. We're yeah. so sick of him in all facets that yeah. it's even hard to laugh at him anymore, because it's like, I just don't mm-hmm. care anymore. I'm too depressed. Can, you know, this is great that you guys lampooning him, and we should always lampoon those in power, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, the the have edge you, is gone. Have you guys seen the movie Lawn Shot with Seth Rogen and yeah. Charlize Theron? Mm-hmm. So Bob Odenkirk in that movie, even though they're taking shots at Trump with him being like trying to use the um, political background to you know again entertainment Become, yeah. career, mm-hmm. like I was so relieved that Odenkirk wasn't doing an impression of him. Agreed that. They took their shots, but he was still Bob Odenkirk, and that allowed me to enjoy the movie. (laughs) I was so thankful for that. When it comes to presidential comedy of the modern era, I don't think anybody took a bigger swing for the fences than Matt Stone and Trey Parker, where they had prepped... Two pilot episodes, depending on if it was Al Gore who was elected president Mm. or George Bush, so that the day after the election, they could air either That's My Bush or I can't remember what the Gore title was, and knew that they had to have like two or three episodes written and Mm -hmm. ready to go. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did the same with Obama and McCain as well. I'm pretty sure. Did they, did I, they I, have I, I believe show? they did. Huh. Uh, not not like a separate show outside of, but they had but episodes South of South Park <laughs> that would have addressed who had won, or m- maybe it was Romney. I'm not sure. One of one of Obama's two elections, they did mm-hmm. the same thing. Well, I'm talking about the sitcom they created mm. for Comedy Central that yeah, was a standalone yeah. sitcom where it was George Bush living in the White House. It had See, nothing I, to do I with South Park. I didn't know that Park. they had made a gore version of that as yeah. a pilot. That's mm-hmm. interesting because they wanted to be. They wanted 
I wanted to be ready no matter. They said, we know we're going to lampoon the president. We don't care which one it is, but mm-hmm. we need to be prepped and ready for it. Yeah. Um, do you remember the show Little Bush that was a Comedy Central who had it? Or was yeah, it just a, it's Comedy Central. I, I didn't see it, but I remember it being announced. It was, like, yeah. it was a little tiny George Bush in elementary school, and like Condi was there, mm. and a little Dick Cheney and a Jeb, uh, who like Jeb's whole bit was that he was so incredibly like stupid yeah. that he uh, he would like eat stuff like <laughs> like a porcupine, and he'd be like, good. Like a caveman. Um, so in Confetti, which was the senior, um, junior and senior sketch show at Fargo South, um, my friend Sam Christensen and I wrote a, a, a running gag of uh, Lil Hitler. Mm. Where the concept was uh, Neville Chamberlain would have been like the worst principal ever. Because he just like, okay, don't do it this time, or I'll let you take this country, but just don't. So we had, you know, Lil Hitler, Lil Ava Braun, um, Lil Stalin. Did that make it to the stage? It did. It yes. did? Wow. Yep. Congratulations. You're you ahead go. of your time yep. with, uh, with oh, your no, satire. We, we were after Lil Bush. That oh, was a, yeah. oh, so you just, we were like, Ripped them off we're going to take, take it to the next level. Yes. Interesting. Um. So uh, let's talk briefly a little bit about improv, too, because you're somebody who loves the art of making things up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. When you what what drives you to improv? What what do you like about it? Um, I I just like that in the moment collaboration and it's it's the people you've gotten to know and worked with and the audience. And there's just this instantaneous energy and feedback and um. Yeah, it's just this really specific energy you can only get from that. I I'll take it a step further. My favorite part of improv is the fact that the audience is a part of the show. Yeah. It is not something where you just sit and watch. Mm-hmm. You are involved from start to finish. Yeah. Even in the even when you don't raise your hand or volunteer or throw out suggestions, you're involved just by what you react to. Yeah. And the, I can't think of another medium mm-hmm. where the show drastically changes depending on odd, direct audience feedback during the show. I had so much fun doing Santa Land at Theater B last year. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's my improv background that yeah. allowed me to do things like react to the audience. I remember mm-hmm. a day where people showed up 10 minutes late and I said, all right, everyone, we're going to just, you know, hold on one second. And I went up to the, them in the crowd and I explained what was going on yeah. in the show. And I'm like, did I miss anything? And a woman yells out, you love, uh, you love one day at a time. And I'm like, oh yeah. And I <laughs> throw that out there and I'm like, so these people are as invested yeah. in what's going on as I am. And I thought that was a rush. It's the closest thing to improv mm-hmm. I've ever experienced in yeah. traditional theater. So it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, we did the underpants together. Yes. Which Tucker directed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was a lot of fun. It was. I had a good time in the underpants. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Scott's character has a whole bunch of sausage in front of him and i keep eating off of his plate yeah. during that show mm-hmm. which i always love because i'd get to eat sausage <laughs> during the show like it was a real win yeah um and your character was, was he a hypochondriac yeah yeah yep. so, uh, a hypochondriac closeted jew that's right because it was 1910 germany yeah and that was the big running joke where you were 
kept looking at my character and were uneasy, and I had to assure you it was Cohen with a K, not a C. Yeah. I just realized in this conversation, the three shows I've done at Theater B all involve characters who have to wear suspenders. Yeah. I wore them in Hand of God, mm. I wore them in Underpants, and I wore them in Sandland. Real theme with you. Your pants yeah. need to get hiked Always up. Always <laughs> got to have hiked up pants. It's interesting. So speaking of the underpants, so I'm, I'm directing The Last Schwartz at Theater B right now, and Jacob Harchi is playing a character who um, is always at a telescope, and I realized that in the underpants, he played a scientist who was always at a telescope. Interesting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So see, it just all—if you're a real theater B fan, you'll notice these things, yes. and you'll be able to point them out as things go on. Yeah, is this the first show you've directed at theater B? Yep, I've directed uh, other things. And so, what makes the Last Schwartz fun for you to direct? Um, it's a great script, um, and then great cast, and it's the theater killer B cast, stage, really yeah. killer cast, yeah. yeah. Um, which speaking of those connections, um, I've every main stage show at theater B I've been in, I've got someone from those casts in the last Schwartz. Oh yeah. So Mikey Sonnerum was in almost Maine with me, Mary Cochran and dead man's cell phone, Jake Archie and the underpants and Claire Lynch in art of bad men. Oh, that's I didn't fun. direct any of your almost main scenes today. No, uh, that was so. Missy Teeters. Missy did. Yes. Okay. That's right. And as we uh, get ready to start wrapping this yeah. thing up, let's go with this. If you could tell people out there one thing about the Disney history, yeah. the lore, the myth, whatever you want to do, that you feel gets overlooked, what so would it be? I feel it has to do with Walt himself, where if you look at Disney history, the things that succeeded were what Walt cared about the most. So when he was pushing things like sound and color and the animated shorts, the, the quality of the animation as far as they could, they were unparalleled. And then and the first five animated features is probably the best run of movies in all of Hollywood because that's when Walt had the most at stake. He had the most r at risk and he was uh, determined to make it work. And you would follow that with um, the document, true life adventure documentaries, television, Disneyland, Mary Poppins. And, you know, Walt himself ambition wise was gained to a point where experimental prototype communities of tomorrow Epcot. was where his heart was. So I, I really, you know, it's a shame he died so young because I, I have no idea where he could have gone. So we'll end this episode with one last trivia question. Okay. Uh, let me just pull this back up here again. And we started with Scott last time, yep. I believe, right? Pongo. Uh, correct. So I guess we're done. <laughs> All okay. right. Good. No. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, so JJ, we'll start with you. Mm -hmm, <clears throat> mm -hmm. Before Mickey Mouse, what Disney character was suggested to be the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia? Hmm. So it's not before Mickey existed. Correct. So we're not talking about uh, one of those earlier creations. I'm going to guess based on the, 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 the mass chaos, it was Donald Duck. You? Dopey. Scott has it. He's correct. Dopey, huh? Dopey was also the animated by Fred Moore. Oh, yep. see? I guess it makes sense because Dopey and Mickey would have similar, uh, uh, yeah. would have similar dimensions, mm -hmm. too. Yep. The, the robes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes sense to go with Mickey. Why would they go with Dopey? 
he does. I mean, he was the, the breakout, the um, and you know, for a, a movie where they don't speak, you know, Dopey doesn't have to rely on speech. So, as I was going through yeah. those trivia questions, there was another Fantasia-related one, which was huh. that which the Fantasia is the answer to the question. So it's spoiler alert. But the question was, what Disney animated feature film only released to 14 theaters and why and it was yeah. fantasia because at the time the of the war most theaters didn't have the ability to do the complicated sound yeah. setup mm, so only 14 theaters could play it mm-hmm. have they done fantasia screenings with live where they like mute the soundtrack and have a live studio i think or so like a live i orchestra? mean uh, i just I never hear about them because they don't do those here. So. Right. I drove down to the cities and saw Jurassic Park oh, yeah. live where they did the score to Jurassic Park. They like mm-hmm. over it. It's cool to see something like that live. Yeah. But well, Scott, it's been a real pleasure having yeah, you here. Thank you very much. This was great. If people want to find you on the Internet, are you available via social medias? I am. Could friend me on Facebook. I need to up my social media game. Yeah, so you're not I'm tweeting down. at all? No, I got off Twitter. I realized I, I still read tweets from people that I I like their takes on things, but I got so frustrated in responding to someone. I'm like, this is not a valid mode of communication. It just... <laughs> I saw Scott shut down a heckler once in the most... like. I've never seen somebody not have a moment where they just have this like oh, what and then say something witty. They it was a the guy's this guy was I remember my first beer and it was seamless. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. I don't remember that one. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that one like it like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> And I remember you shutting down somebody at a line bender show too, yeah. where that's the thing is you're always, you're in the moment. You're not thinking about the next thing that you're going to do. You are concentrating on your relationship with the audience in yeah. that exact moment. And that's, I, I that's remember so one where, um, there was uh, a table who was talking through the whole show and, um, we got, you know, assignments for the dating game or something. And a guy yells out, what did she say? And uh, you know, she said, pay attention. And that was, (laughs) 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 that was that. Uh, yeah, that is, I mean, you might have a, uh, title for this podcast right there pay she said pay, pay attention. attention yeah uh scott ecker thank you very much for coming on jj meets world it's been a pleasure right. thank you very much a huge thanks to natalie deutsch of hatch realty for sponsoring this podcast Folks, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, contact Natalie Deutsch today because Natalie Deutsch is not only a previous podcast guest, she's somebody who's going to care enough to sell your property for top dollar. She's also going to find you the best price possible if you're purchasing a new home. Last year on average, Natalie earned her clients $4,000 over list price on their homes and sold them faster than the market average. On average, Natalie's selling a home every 3.74 days. That's two homes a week. Those numbers don't lie. Find out why Natalie is one of the top agents in this entire market. Get a hold of her today, Natalie at HatchRealtyFM.com. You can also call 701-388-9338 or go on to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's LiveFargoMoorhead.com. Read all of her amazing reviews and then listen to her episode of JJ Meets World. Thanks again to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty.
That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash jjmeetsworld and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com, and you can find direct contact info for JJ. When I was young, my family went to Disney World, and I remember one of the coolest things about Disney World was I wasn't the chubbiest kid there, and that felt great. <laughs>